passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book that goes into detail on every single pro wrestling event that's ever happened inside Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we have a, a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history with a different guest each episode. Uh, this time, we're looking at the year 2006, and joining me is someone that... Well, behind one of the people behind something that is just invaluable to anybody that that ever wants to do any kind of uh, wrestling writing or or just wants to while away the time into bizarre indie wrestling rabbit holes. Uh, one of the figures behind CageMatch.net, uh, Striggers here. Oh, well, thanks for having me on this show. I really, really enjoyed those shows that we had uh, so far. And uh, let me say, I really enjoyed you during the summer doing all the uh, translations on the G1 Climax. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, it's it's still coming off like the most bizarre summer. <laughs> Going back to my regular job. <laughs> Not as bizarre as 2006, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 2006, very, very transient, transitive uh, time. Yeah. Before, I mean, before we get into the, the Tokyo Dome stuff, I, I wanted to just chat out of like sheer curiosity <laughs> of you know of of what you of what goes into what must eat so much of your time with with the website because um i think i first came on to cage match like it was first shown to me in something like 2003 or 2004 um uh because yeah. and this is like a deep dark secret and i will only say this now and i won't give any further uh, information but yours I truly did, i did some research, did some research. <laughs> it's in <laughs> it's in a couple of cage match listings <laughs> i would yeah. rather be forgotten um but uh yeah so that was like at the time then it was like oh <laughs> you know i was like wow and then there, there was this thing of like how does this happen and and it's still like even now you know you'll you'll hear suddenly someone like Kashida say be introduced to cage match and go it's this amazing wonderful thing where you can find out absolutely <laughs> everything um like how did it how did it come together and like how much of your personal energy and resources does it take to run that website 
So, in full disclosure, it's it's not that hard actually. We have we have um, besides the website that everybody sees, we have our uh, our um, we call it the admin center where everybody everybody comes together and everything comes together basically. And you can just basically um, do a new entry for cage match. When you do a new entry, you for example do a new there is there is formulas for shows for match guides for podcasts for uh, stables tag teams everything you only have to type in the name of the wrestler and if the wrestler has a profile on cage match all the hyperlinks work automatically so some people might think that we have to hyperlink to each and every individual but no we don't it's it's, it's actually not that that hard and um yeah well we we gathered a team of people who are really um well-versed in their uh, specific fields, for example, Yoshi wrestling or Mexican wrestling. Mexican wrestling, we, of course, get a lot of um, information from from Lucha Block and from uh, different other sites. And we also have some, some people who just send in information. For example, we have someone who sends in information for the uh, South American promotions. We have someone who sends in uh, match results for everything in uh, in the UK or in in Northern Europe, Sweden, Nor- Norway, everything else. And we have people sending in emails for African and Asian results as well. So it's it's it has become a giant network. And as, as you said, 2005 around that time, we started morphing the site from what used to be a regular news site in German to this database. And uh, we have amassed a a shitload of uh, of data now and there's always something new coming in we have someone who works for uh, who works with the old japanese stuff um, he has um added all japan from the 80s and early 90s and uh, yeah it's 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 becoming more and more and I, I i read a stat lately we have now added our 200,000 wrestling event to the database recently that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's I, it's uh, a, a show from Real Pro Wrestling, uh, from a town in Florida, in Fort Myers. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, to you. Yeah, no, that's it's just it's amazing, you know, because like there's so much information that, that that could just be in so many shows that get sort of thrown to the wind and like you know we never see anything of them. Um, yeah, for for example, just just one thing when I when I looked up uh, Shibata's matches from 2005 and 2006, and and I went into his Big Mouth Allowed record for for the for research on the show, I noticed that he had a match in Michinoku Pro in 2006, and I totally forget forgot about that mm-hmm. uh, against Fujita Ayato. And uh, yeah, it's just that kind of stuff. If you dive deep into one wrestler's profile, you might eventually end up on i don't know kikotaro's profile uh, yes yeah all of a sudden <laughs> yeah well kikotaro was was on the show in 2006 <laughs> so like you know it all works out yeah what what were you up to in 2006 in general we were talking before we came on it was um you know it, it was all world cup fever in in germany at the yeah. time oh yeah. 2006 was the summer of my life yeah uh, i just uh, turned 18 the year before and uh, world cup was on during the summer obviously i uh went to see some some games in big cities like dortmund and 
you know, and the people from all over the world came together in these big cities, and it was just giant, giant uh, festival of, of of football in in, in Germany. And uh, yeah, for me, it was it was an amazing, amazing summer. Uh, I went on to to go to university later on, one year later. But uh, this summer really uh, was, as I said, the summer of my life, and uh, yeah, just an amazing time. Awesome. Awesome. This was the uh, year 2006 in From Japan to the World. And in 2006, uh, we, we gave everybody the Nintendo Wii um, <laughs> and the PlayStation 3. That, those, those both sort of uh, came out in 2006. I remember, like, yeah, just getting... Uh, managing to get my hands on, on a Wii reasonably easily, um, you know, without pre-ordering it, but, like, a couple of weeks late. Um, and then about sort of a month after that, I was kind of sick of it, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that was the thing. Um, 2006, top of the charts, uh, Strigo in 2006 was the like every episode i've never heard of these songs either <laughs> but like this was the the first thing that i remember because like captain i believe is like one of these um johnny's like groups perhaps you know someone will will hop in and, and correct me but like johnny's is like a, a huge management evil conglomerate mega corporation that churns out pop groups and i remember at the time I was working like the receptionist where I was working was like a, a super huge fan of these Johnny's groups. And, um, she kept on, you know, haranguing anybody that would listen. So like, there's this new group called captain. Um, so I do remember that this, this song, but, uh, I'm assuming you, you didn't, you weren't up on your, your Japanese pop in. in no, in I, I, I know that you look up the top of the charts every time, and I looked it up for Germany, and of course it was very very heavily influenced by the World Cup here, and so ah. top of the charts in Germany was Love Generation by Bob Sinclair. <laughs> That at least I know because it, it was playing at the time anywhere you were. So that's the song I know. <laughs> you, you can avoid it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, I just, found, just found out something about Japanese. Um, uh, uh, what what's happening in Japan at the time? Because mm. this this was linked to to pro wrestling as well because uh, the life door scandal happened exactly. in two thousand six as well. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the life doors um, CEO Takafumi Horie and and three other company officials were arrested and placed into into detention on January the twenty third, uh, two thousand and six. Uh, and from then on, yeah, at the House of Cards that that affected. <laughs> Um, you know, lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. And For example, um, the promotion that was named uh, Dragon Door was affected by that. Mm -hmm. And that folded afterwards. And of course, from the ashes of that, uh, Pro Wrestling El Dorado then ar arose. And that was one of my, one of, one of my favorite promotions back then, uh, in the day. Yeah. 
and just like the the sort of increased i think attention on you know this was when yeah i think 2006 to 2000 Eight, you know, this kind of two, three year period was like increased attention on dodgy dealings and uh, and bad money and uh, organized crime and mm. uh, you know, pretty in pretty soon order, you know, we'll we'll see Pride fall by the wayside as well and and Dream Stage disappear. Uh, um, well, and, and Pro Wrestling yeah, Noah wasn't influenced Noah, by that exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah dark dark days but uh at, at this point in uh new japan they were trying to turn the corner from their own dark days um and that led to sozo sozo new chapter um at the start of 2006 um and a very 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 different yeah like like we said off the top a very weird show to watch if you're a new japan fan now um and you know really predominantly like most of this coming from Ricky Choshu being put in charge of the, of the company it, effectively from a from a creative standpoint um Simon Inoki was uh, the president at this point one of the first things he did was sort of mend fences with Ricky Choshu bring him back in as as you know he was called the overseer of the company um and yeah Ricky Choshu one of the first things he kind of said was that if we don't, you know, if we keep on going the way that the company has been going, then we'll be dead within the year. Um, so, you know, I think one of those things, one of those sensible things that the Choshu demanded and that Inoki okayed and under new management from uh, Yuke's who bought the company as well, um, was that we're just not going to run the Tokyo Dome all the time anymore. So, like, this yeah. was the thing <laughs> of, like, one show a year. So this starts our, our run of just one show inside the Tokyo Dome per year. Um, which has stayed to this very day, unless you count like an empty arena match in 2017 with DDT. <laughs> it was a great match. Yeah, it, it was. It felt so weird because they started to to turn around the corner, to turn around the corner, as you said. But when I watched this show and when I finished watching this show, it didn't really feel to me that they tried to make new japan look in a look better than it looked in 2005 because for most of those promotional matches we had here for example when i'm just looking at it a bad boy hido kintaro kanemura and masato tanaka <laughs> beat, beat, beat ghetto yado and yushin panalaiga that's just, <laughs> okay. just to tell like, you how, how strange this this card was. yeah yeah right like, they, they totally smashed the juniors and uh, <laughs> it was for, for a lot of those matches on that card that the foreigners coming in took lead in their matches and and really the new japan guys didn't look good at all yeah i, I mean it's what it, it really sort of smacked of was that you know we've we've got to dramatically cut costs and and we've got to get this company back in in the black um but at the same time we're still playing brock lesnar an awful lot of money um so you know rick choshu uh sort of reneging on like uh, at one point for a long time, Ricky Choshu's thing was that he despised independent wrestling um, with a true venom. And like that goes back to probably, um, you know, something that, that you can do a deep cage match dive on. Um, but it goes back to this, uh, the Ricky Dozan like memorial show in like 96, I think it was Yokohama Arena, um, where it was... Yo, know, kind of very similar to like the Shoe Pro Bridge of Trains thing where they had like different promotions put on one show each, one match each. 
And it was a match between... Ah, oh, it escapes me. Like, the other guy was in a mummy gimmick. Um, and then this guy, ah, oh, I can envisage him, like, big hair. Yeah, so uh, that's we, what you need on cage matches. Like, you, like show, an appearance to script a big hair, right like this, like kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it was on June June 30, nineteen ninety six, in Yokohama yeah. Arena, and um, Go Tsurumi is the one. Yeah, there you go. Um, and he beat the mummy. <laughs> he beat the mummy. Um, in and this match is on YouTube. <laughs> it is an all-time stinker, um, and this appalling, uh, appalling example of indie wrestling in in nineteen ninety six sent Ricky Joshua into uh, a frenzy, and he had this this massive rant on like you know how he you know, this isn't the same pro wrestling, and they they shouldn't be associated with with one another. And what that actually led to, like in a roundabout way, was this sort of. Um, Big Japan versus New Japan feud, feud in 1997, which kind of didn't, you know, it, it wasn't as big a deal as as uh, I think either party had planned it out to be. But uh, yeah, here the indie guys are go go, you know, and a little bit of like zero one max in there as well, whether that like counts as as an indie at this stage. But yeah, maybe they, they counted as as an as an indie because in the in the match I just mentioned, the six man tag, they uh, called the Hido Kanemura and Tanaka team the indie Gundan team. Ah, what they so, yeah. So 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 zero one. So basically everything besides, um, yeah, everything besides New Japan on this card was considered an indie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apache Pro was like clearly, <laughs> clearly an indie, <laughs> and like this yeah. is. But I mean, that's uh, you know Kinsaro Kanemura who was like who was running uh, Apache Pro at the time. Like th this was kind of the start of like a, a nice relationship between him mm -hmm. and Choshu and and Yujibans because like you know a lot of the Apache Pro guys would. Um, you know, be part of when Ricky Choshu started like the lockup self uh, yes, sub brand. I really enjoyed Wonderland. those shows at the yeah. time. I really the, enjoyed those brands that New Japan had the lockup, premium, and the Wrestleland shows. Yeah. They they brought something different, and and that's really really cool to see different guys on that card, and also have, uh, for example, uh, Togi Makabe. Be, yeah, I mean, be, uh, yeah, I was gonna say champion. like it really transformed. Togimaka, you know, and he's like, I think a lot of the talent at the time really hated like these Resident and, and lockup shows. But like for Makabe, like it, it gave him a chance to, to become someone interesting, you know, and be it like a hardcore wrestler. And then, um, you know, that, that put him on the path from being nobody to being like somebody over the course of like the, the next three years. But um, yeah, I mean, good God, bad boy Hido. Night, bad boy Hido, bad boy Hido wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. And like not only that, but Bad Boy Hito wrestling in the Tokyo Dome wearing a too tough Tony T-shirt. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't even know if you can call that wrestling what he did because he just was in the ring throwing punches all the time, and that's basically his in his his, his contribution to this show. While on the other side, Ghetto was doing Hurricane Runners, and I was just oh, Ghetto was amazed. awesome. Yeah, like, <laughs> Ghetto and Jado and Ghetto were like were were just awesome at this point. But like, because so like, I guess the connection was so Hido was like a wing FMW guy, right? And like, so like, yeah. um, he was part of Team No Respect with Jado and Gato at one point. So when like Fuyuki Gun, like Jado and Gato were like in in Fuyuki Gun and in War, and then you know everything sort of combined with this other stable to become Team No Respect for a time. So you could kind of pick out some 
backstory there i guess but like that there wasn't really much to this match to to really talk about and like yeah like team apache like the indie guys beat new japan in in the opener which is something that you know a here's ricky choshu booking a bunch of indies booking a bunch of indie guys like on the same level as as new japan and you know this is the guy that would resolutely have new japan just smash uwf (laughs) like <laughs> 10 years yeah. before this you know <laughs> yeah so yeah this was not the same choshu but the 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 actual opening match he was um the now yoshitatsu now fumi yamamoto against ruji sai from zero one max at that time and this this set the stage for what happened in most of those matches because both crews were out um the new japan crew and the zero one crew uh, they accompanied yamamoto and Rujisai to the ring and uh, they were there to basically yeah back up their guy and in, in in some of the matches on the card brawls between new japan and zero one uh, happened and then also, when the two singles matches between New Japan and Big Mouth Loud happened, similar stuff was going on. New Japan team was out, Big, Big Mouth Loud team was out, and they brawled or looked mean at each other. And uh, yeah, it, it was lots of similar stuff happening throughout the card, throughout the matches, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of ref bumping, ref attacks, and and stuff like that uh, throughout the the entire show. But yeah, yeah. New Japan against uh, against the Indies. Yeah, yeah, New Japan against the... But, like, at least it was... You know, I, I think, like, you could say there's there's a corner turned here where we're going back to pro wrestling in in a way, you know, and, and yeah. I don't think we really saw, you know, except for in the, in the main event where it was almost out of necessity, like, I don't think you really saw anything that was, you know, it felt like Enochism was was pretty much on on the back burner or, or like put away completely at at this point and uh you know i mean antonio Inoki had uh nothing really to do with the company except for the fact that his son-in-law was in charge of it um mm. but uh yeah i mean the, the you know the big themes to like new japan versus the indies here were like i guess apache pro zero on max and then in two of the the headline matches that, that we wanted to look at um big mouth loud yeah, I, I was I was gonna ask you about these matches. Was there a plan for a long-term relationship between Big Mouth Loud and New Japan? Because the way that Choshu or the the way that the matches were laid out, I had I I had this feeling that in the end, when you're Choshu, you have to think that you get your victory back. For example, for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, like, if 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 we want to talk about that match first with like um, Shibata and Tanahashi, that Shibata beats Tanahashi and beats the ever-loving piss yeah. out of him, like you know, it's it's a slaughter here, you know, and and sort of Tanahashi, <laughs> you know, barely gets in, you know, he'll get in a dragon screw a German here, you know, a few few hope spots there, but like it's mainly Shibata just like kicking the ever-loving shit out of of tanner um and you know it, it's it's really fun to to see it's, it's fun to see a kind of very different shibata of this era where he's more sort of cocky um you see more of murakami in in Tana, in shibata i think at, at this point in time um <laughs> but yeah and and like the finish as well where like he you know it's just unleashing like kick and blow and back fist after kick after kick and then like there's a standing 10 count 
Um, Tanahashi stands up at eight and then Shibata just kicks the shit out of him some more and then pins him, you know? <laughs> it's like, wow. It, it, was, it was pretty pretty amazing. And you, meant, you just mentioned Murakami and... Just uh, some months before this match, uh, Shibata had faced Murakami in Big Mouth Loud, and Murakami basically beat the ever-living shit out of Shibata. So Shibata basically <laughs> gave that to Tanahashi. And it, this match was so incredible, just not from, not from the quality of the match itself, but from the, the way that Shibata manhandled Tanahashi. He... He not only kicked the shit out of him, but he also stole his moves. <laughs> Shibata, Shibata stole the Dragon Sleeper from Tanahashi. He was doing doing that move a lot at the time because he uh, he was trained by Fujinami, mm. and and nothing in this match symbolizes the difference in styles more than Shibata countering Tanahashi's attempt of the Japanese uh, lateral clutch hold with a simple head kick. Yeah, he just kicked his head in. Yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah. As you mentioned, very decisive, decisive finish. He just kicked him and pinned him with a buzzer kick, and this is this was pretty notable to me because prior to the match, Shibata had lost, as, as I mentioned, to Murakami in Big Mouth Loud in an under 10 minutes, and he also lost to Satoshi Kojima in a very decisive match in in Big Mouth Loud. I, Dylan and I, on the Eastern Larry, two years ago, we did a show on on Big Mouth Loud, and we went through all the matches that Shibata had. And basically, Shibata lost to every big name they brought into Big Mouth Loud. Uh, for example, Marufuji and Morishima in a tag match. Uh, Shibata teamed with Kota Ibushi in that match. Mm. He lost to Kensuke Sasaki, and he beat Taru by disqualification. Mm. So, so they went to build up Shibata as this big name for Big Mouth Loud, but he lost every match. And here he comes in and kicks the shit out of Tanahashi, who would go on to win the, the IWGP heavyweight title just uh, five yeah. months later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it does sort of ring true of, of something that, that they were trying to get going and that, that didn't. Um, but I mean, you would have to assume, I mean, there was so much sort of ill will and, and bad blood, like all the way around that situation whether it's like part of you know in heading up big mouth loud i mean shibata and murakami both left new japan to to start big mouth loud but like that was under the auspices of like famikyo um uai like yes. uai had been booking new japan through like what 2003 2004 around about that year um so like uai had had you know left under you know all of these presumed complaints about you know how the how the company was was going downhill and and this that and the other shibata like one year before their show had had walked out the company saying you know you know that famous line of i'm i'm not going to be a salary man wrestler you know I, I can't be who i want to be here so like a lot of ill will um towards shibata though that wouldn't go away for for years and years and years um but uh yeah i mean like that was probably truly I guess sort of Choshu trying to make fences at, at this point, perhaps yeah, maybe. with with as many people as possible. And it, you know, it kind of makes sense in a way, you know, I mean, Choshu, when Choshu sort of walked out in 2002, it was just like, you know, out of insane frustration at, at being part of this, this committee that would always have their uh, sort of decisions overruled by Inoki in the end as, as the owner. Um, and his kind of, you know, his sort of parting shot to the company was like, you know, to 
Chono who was taken over the, the Rangers Booker at the time but that like to anybody else that, that was taken over from him it was just like yep good luck you know like that kind of <laughs> that's that's how he left it so you know perhaps his thinking was that you know he had perhaps a, a kindred spirit maybe with uh with Uwaya and like um you know maybe let's try and, and get something going but um you you would have to assume for it for every one voice that was in support of of the Uwai gang and, and Big Mouth Loud, there must have been like a bunch of dissenting voices saying like, you know, fuck no, we're not going to work with them. Yeah, I, I, you mentioned that's something they tried to get going and it didn't. I, I noticed uh, that Fumuki Uwai was on commentary for the matches yes. that uh, involved the Big Mouth Loud guys. So so I, I took away from that, that that at least he came back to New Japan for, for this one instant and was uh, maybe willing to work out something. And it surely would have been to the benefit of, of, of his group, his, his new splinter group in Big Mouth Loud, because they had trouble starting up in 2005. They, they, it, it, was, it was a very ambitious project, and mm. and I liked it a lot back in the day, day and and. and uh, still, uh, still to this day, I really enjoy watching these matches. But uh, he could have really used this this New Japan connection to get something going for him. And him being here in commentary, uh, that's that's why I asked if if yeah, maybe yeah. they they had had planned something and that fell apart uh, in the end. Yeah, true. But I, I think at the same time, like him on commentary in in both these matches, like it's almost he's he's almost sort of playing like the the cartoonish manager as, as much as he is like the, the promotion of this thing. You know, he's going. Ah, oh, it's yeah. You know, of course, like he's he's beating the crap out of him. It's only natural, you know, like that. This and that. You know, he kind of uh, he reminded me a little bit of Bruce Tharp. Actually, <laughs> yeah, <but> Bruce Tharp. <laughs> Look, they're similar in fashion as well. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, mm. yeah, it's the second match of 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 this rivalry between. New Japan and Big Mouth Loud was, as you mentioned, Murakami against Yuji Nagata. Katsunari Murakami is is a strange guy. It's uh, he he's so captivating. I think mm. at least at least to me and and, and to 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 a degree to some people on Twitter as well. Uh, I, I remember when he was on top of uh, Antonio Noki's uh, or IGF's new group next exciting wrestling two years ago and he beat the ever-living shit out of keisuke okuda and, and guys uh, uh, like like that on that show and they tried to make him the guy on top of their promotion and it didn't really work out in the end but if you put him in a situation like this i i, I think he he is really useful to to kind of get the spirit of the like, like mid-90s when when big brawls is, is assumed in assumed in wrestling in New Japan, for for example, and here New Japan and Big Mouth Loud, they 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 got at it right away, and we got typical Murakami action with with Nagata, and as, as I mentioned, all the guys were out for this match, for example. Nagata almost gets into a fight with Fujiwara, so yeah. like like the New Japan versus UWF. Thing. They they kind of um, tried to 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 bring that up here uh, with this match, and uh, just like with Shibata, Murakami kicked the shit out of Nagata in the match, and it was only for the finishing stretch that Nagata really got something in, and he he did I think two or three backdrop holds. Uh, he wins the match, and Murakami gets right back up. 
and they continue slapping each other in the face. Murakami was bloodied up, but but Nagata, as the gatekeeper of New Japan that he he always was, he didn't really look that great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you had like this. Yeah, I I think like the theme of the match was yeah, Murakami beating the shit out of, of Nagata until like Nagata gets you know the the switch flips in him and then you know he'll he'll come up and and bloody him, bloody Murakami up. You know, Nagata was saying like before this match that um, you know he'd make Uai regret poaching like these these guys away from from New Japan. Um, so that that was kind of the theme. Um, it was interesting. Like I watched um, this match. Just I think right after I was watching some matches for like the the 2003 episode, so like I just um, seen Murakami and Shibata like the first time in in New Japan, where I don't know if you've seen that match, but like that is like entirely Murakami and like you know like kicks the shit out of Shibata and Shibata's <laughs> like piercing blood on the floor. Oh, um, that one, yes. Yeah, and so like the image of like then. You know, I think like this would have been Murakami's first time back in the Tokyo, I guess, and like to to come back and then he's the one that that's leaking. Like that, that was kind of a an interesting visual, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, Mur- I mean, Murakami is like a, a really interesting figure, and and somebody who had like obviously just tons of very very easy charisma, um, and you know, he was he was a perfect like companion piece to someone like Naoya Ogawa, you know, when they were doing the, the Hashimoto stuff. Um, you know, and then a few years later, like I think on this show as well, we talked about um the brawl with, with him and then in Inoi as well. Um mm. you know, I mean like his yeah, his, his he was great, very, very intense, just like never really got his due on in like a, a top flight promotion, I and you know, I don't think. And maybe part of that timing, you know, and yeah, and probably timing. He 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 could have been a big guy in UWF, for example. Yeah. Um, but at that time he came into into pro wrestling the big mixed martial arts boom was was uh, was going on and so it didn't really work out for him to the extent it could have if he had been around like five or six years earlier yeah yeah and uh, yeah, that that the whole match ends with like Nagata, like Nagata beats Murakami, and then like he 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 goes into the you know the the armbar there and and tries to 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 break Murakami's arm, and then who makes the save? But yeah, like you said, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, <laughs> so teasing Fujiwara and, and Nagata, like uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, wild brawl, crazy times, but uh, also just just crazy times in general was the fact that Brock Lesnar was IWGP champion at this. <laughs> yeah you know i had i had thought about to choose the tokyo dome show in 2005 or the or talk about the 2005 tokyo dome shows Mm. i think the three-way on the october one where lesnar won the belt is one of my least favorite matches of all time with choshu and katsuki fujita People who follow me on Twitter know that I absolutely despise everything that Fujita ever did on top in New Japan. And uh, sadly, Lesnar's reign wasn't much better than anything that that Fujita did with the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. it, it's, again, like, you know, a while ago, I think... Um, you know, back when we, we were talking about, I think, 2002 or 2003... Oh no! It was the last. It was the last show on, on two thousand four. We, we were talking about Bob Sapp's run, 
and how everything in there, there, there's probably an argument that you could make where it made sense for for Bob Sapp to win the title. Absolutely, because of his celebrity status, because of the fact that in a a, a, a well enough crafted scenario, Bob Sapp is definitely capable and extremely charismatic. But the the way everything worked out, it, it could only run to the, the detriment of New Japan at the time. And I think there was probably an argument where Brock Lesnar should be our champion made sense you know, in terms of him having so much, you know, of having definite name value still at, at this point. And, um, you know, when Inoki was still uh, had more heavily involved in the, in the company in 2005, like he was the perfect, he was the ultimate Inokiist almost. Um, you know, and, and this, this two sport guy that they could have had. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the big problem was just, just, it's just clear that Brock Lesnar doesn't want to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it was very, very um, clear. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what sort of happened. And it just, you know, it, it means that, that the fans get screwed and like that, the whole idea I think of, of his run was, you know, Lesnar's going to be this, this indestructible like force and that little by little, you know, the, their opponents would get a little bit more. You know, so like he basically steamrolls the triple threat. And then uh, after that, you know, he had, who's he have? Like Nakanishi and then Nagata in the autumn? I think, I I think so, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and then, you know, they get a little bit more and a little bit more and Shinsuke gets a little bit more. And then eventually we're going to get to Tanahashi and he's finally going to, you know, vanquish Brock Lesnar. You know, that's the kind of idea that they were going, except that, you know, that meant that in the interim, you're getting really bad main events, <laughs> you know, the uh, sub nine minutes or whatever. Um, and then oh, well, eventually when it came to the payoff, like Brock Lesnar left anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he didn't even wrestle uh, Nagata and Nakanishi, not for the title at least. Uh, right, right. After, after he beat Nakamura here in this, in this main event, he beat Akebono. <laughs> Oh yeah, Akebono. Yes, March, yeah. After Nakamura was Akebono. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and then and then joined Bernard in uh, yeah in, in May. Yeah. No. So um, I watched the entire show on New Japan World, except yep. for this match. Mm-hmm. This isn't on New Japan World, and there are no Nakamura matches on New Japan World as well from 2006. And uh, it's this match is is some of, uh, part of the reason why I think because. You mentioned it. Lesnar didn't want to be here, or at least he didn't. He didn't. He didn't seem as he wanted to be there because he didn't give Nakamura anything. He wouldn't even. He wouldn't even give Nakamura a one count after a German suplex. This mm. in this in this sub nine minute match. This was Lesnar's only bump in the match, and he didn't didn't even give him a one count after the match. And Nakamura tried uh, his jumping cross arm breakers that. For in his in his in his early career, that were kind of his go-to moves uh, yeah. to go for the cross arm breaker, and Lesnar didn't even sell anything. He just uh, dropped him with a power bomb, and you said that that Lesnar was kind of the ultimate Inokiist, and Nakamura at that point kind of was too, because on on commentary they talked about both men's amateur credentials and they also brought up Nakamura's uh, fight fights against uh, Alexei Ignashov that that he won yeah and you know, I mean that 
you bring this up and like just just hearing you talk about this match where like Nakamura doesn't get anything like I think like this is the sort of you know the the bummer counterpoint to the high point that was uh wrestling world 2004 and like you know i think like this this could have been a very similar story to what happened with him and takayama in that match mm-hmm. where yeah. like basically that this whole thing was nakamura being just absolutely beaten half to death and like he's still standing up he's still standing up and then you know he sneaks the win at the end um <clears throat> and you know obviously they the end here is is still Lesnar going out on top, but you didn't really have the sense of you know Nakamura getting pummeled and and still you, you didn't feel that that Nakamura was was resilient so much as just being yeah. frustrated at every time by. Well, by they, they, they they could have at least left the door open for for Nakamura showing his fighting spirit. After all, this this show was named uh, the Fighting Spirit uh, Leadership, so. Uh, Nakamura being beaten like that. It, it it wasn't really the the typical Japanese match where the loser in the end still can get his head up because he at least was able to show his fighting spirit. No, Nakamura was just beaten in the end with the F5 that at that time was called the verdict. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, and, and Nakamura, after that, I think he, he left for Mexico uh, in 2006 and, and came back a very changed man. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, this would have been, yeah, the starting the formation of, like, Black New Japan and then Black New Japan to rise, rise to chaos. So, like, this mm-hmm. was the, the real sort of evolution of, of Shinsuke Nakamura. And, like, it's interesting, you know, I, I think we've talked about Nakamura matches, like, on every episode of the last like four or five weeks now and um it's been interesting to see his uh, his progression and this isn't a good example of that, that progression but you know you you definitely see him come from someone who's very new to, to pro wrestling and um you know by his own admission wasn't very good at it um like eventually grow so much mainly i think because of mexico in in 2004 Mm, um you know you saw we talked about that first nakamura and tanahashi uh match on the 2005 episode that was the real highlight of like not a very good card um (laughs) and so yeah every time every time nakamura goes to mexico like you see him come back getting a little bit better and a little bit better and yeah. uh, and a little bit more charismatic. So he he, yeah. he really suffered from Inoki wanting him in the main event picture much too early. Yes, um, like in two thousand three, he he only made his debut around that time. He debuted in August of two thousand two. Two thousand two, yeah. But I mean, like even then, that was kind of an exhibition match. So I mean, he effectively debuted full full time in january 2003 yeah yeah, yeah. and then by the end of that year he was like iwgb champion (laughs) exactly Uh, i think at that point and he he you know he didn't really have the usual route of the young lion that for example now for miyamoto had here in the opening match at the show and he didn't really have the time to feel comfortable in the ring because he was just thrown in there with these big names and with these guys like Takayama like Lesnar like 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 those guys already so early in his career so being in this main event he, he wasn't even supposed to be in this match right 
Fujita. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, Lesnar originally won the belt in the triple threat by yeah. pinning Chono, if you recall, because, like, Fujita was, like, the IWGP champion. So he lost the, the, the match without, you know, getting pinned because, yeah, you're right. The, the, the plan was to go Lesnar-Fujita in the singles match in, oh, in 2006. Uh, which would have been something you'd have really hated. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, basically what, what happened was that Fujita had like a, a contract dispute um, because he was contracted to the Inoki office, I believe, oh. rather than New Japan. So then when like the, the leadership changed and when Yuke's bought the company, um, he was in sort of a contractual limbo, basically. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, he basically decided to walk away from, from both of them at that point. Um, so, yeah, it was on a reasonably short turnaround because they, they were trying to get Fujita in for that planned main event. For, yeah, from, from scratch, you're, you're quite right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, a, a real sort of head-scratcher and, and a mess all around. But... Uh, yeah, but I mean, we would sort of see this is sort of the the point where you know people will point to two thousand and six as as when like things start to happen, mainly because you know Lesnar leaves with the IWGP title. Yeah, um, you know he's he was set to to defend against Tanahashi in, in Hokkaido, um, and just didn't didn't go, um, mainly because you know I. I would assume you know it's it's never been explicitly said but like you know it was, it was a money issue yeah know, basically. It was. that's that's what i gathered from from years of, of of trying to figure out what happened that lesnar it, it was it was at the time it uh, was it felt to the fans like that lesnar screwed over new japan but uh, at the same time you can say new japan also tried to screw lesnar because they they didn't want to pay him as much as as, as they were com- contractually obliged to pay him yeah, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, and they, they didn't have, I mean, assume they didn't have the money to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, and, and, and that also paved the ground for a very strange route that the IWGP heavyweight title, not not the title, or the, yeah, the, the physical belt, actually. Yes, would yeah. Take, so, uh, because yeah. Inoki we, we... was in the crowd for this match here, for Lesnar and, 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 and Nakamura. <laughs> yeah. And... He was in charge of Lesnar then bringing the belt back to Japan, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, incredibly, we won't tell the end of this story for another two episodes. So like, you know, <laughs> until 2008, there wasn't like the, the IWGV title belt uh, in New Japan. So they, they had to go back to the, the, the second yeah, that Hashimoto had in his Hashimoto. I um I actually have held like the the second gen belt, um and it's insanely heavy. You kind of like <laughs> look at it that oh, it's just like this small thing, but like you know and like you know title belts are, are the heavy things, but like yeah I I you look at this this thing especially around like you know Hashimoto and like the big waist and whatever you you don't really see i never really saw it as like this this big chunky thing but it's it's immensely immensely heavy um but uh yeah tanahashi uh eventually pins giant bernard in a in a tournament to, to become um iwgp champion and uh that is hokkaido and that was uh not only the first time he won the iwgp title he was it was the first time that that he he told us all that he loves us 
<laughs> he loves us. Yeah. The end of a show. Uh, That's yeah, it was the beginning. It very much was the beginning of, of Tanahashi as this big star in in New Japan. And but it wasn't like for from like more two or three more years that people actually really saw Tanahashi as this giant giant star in, in New Japan because basically New Japan was still struggling at that point that he made his mm. ascension to the top. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's an interesting thing, you know, yeah, and like I think when he first sort of did that call of Aishimas, like at the at the end of the at the end of the show, like a lot of the fans are like, what? Like, who would say that? You know, and it was we're kind of an embarrassing to, we're, thing. We're used to Brock Lesnar throwing people around, and yeah, yeah, it was kind Fujita of all, being, being an, an insufferable guy. So how does he love us? Exactly, exactly. But and it was also this thing of like. Tanahashi and he sort of said he said himself that you know he was kind of blissfully unaware you know and, and he would get booed um fairly roundly and an awful lot and like he just didn't know that he was naturally being a dick <laughs> he didn't know <laughs> that he was he was that you know that there had to be a moment at some point where like Tanahashi you know realized that he was effectively being a heel you know because he was like this this pretty boy and he was preening you know and like you know and and at the time like uh to say to say i love you at the end of the show it sounds so self-absorbed and 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 all of this so i think what really i think you're right Stringer, what, what really made tanahashi was like the 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 feud with nagata like in sort of you know around that 2007 yeah. 2008 time that that's when i think tanahashi really truly arrives but uh, yeah remember that match i think that that match was kind of a turnaround for him uh at least when it comes to crowd support because of course nagata was was very popular with the crowd but tanahashi became became more popular um, as the time went on and uh, now here we are with him uh, still being being the guy in 2018 yeah, um, that's that's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but incredible. but still, still to this show, it's. Uh, I didn't I didn't obviously see the aftermath of the main event here uh, on this show because it wasn't on New Japan World, uh, but overall from from this show, it's. Uh, you mentioned Choshu being this guy that didn't really like the indies, and didn't really want indie wrestling on his shows, but then. Of course, he went away from New Japan and he did his Ricky Pro deal. Yes. Of course, after yeah. after um, World Japan folded, and it's 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 really when you go down the card, it's it's we can really credit Choshu for bringing in bringing in a Tomohiro Ishii, for example. We wouldn't have Tomohiro Ishii in New Japan if it wasn't for Choshu. Yeah, and that, absolutely. This, um, yeah, he's he's one of the the real successes of the of this era, Tomohiro Ishii, because you know I, I think certainly we we see a lot of guys, you know, and that there are guys in in the the New Japan system that are big stars. That if it was just down to the New Japan system. Yeah. then we would never see them. You know, and, and exactly. like that. As much as like we you can credit like the the tremendous dojo system that they have it's also a very very stringent system to entry you know, there's strict you know, requirements to entry that you have to be over six feet for instance which uh, <laughs> not a lot of people are and especially not a lot of people in japan are and so like you know jushin Liger, kashida um tomohiro ishii uh grand hamada like all of these guys ultimo dragon um the the 
were big stars that that had to make a name on their own um, because they were too short to to be recognized by New Japan. And so yeah, New Japan had you know Ishii had this this other route where you know he was in war from war to to World Japan and like World Japan. I think you know as short lived as that was, it was all like great timing. I think for for Ishii because he was able to uh, suddenly show. Kensuke Sasaki suddenly show Riki Choshu, uh, suddenly show um, uh, Kachiji Nakajima, like who is uh, the the booker in New Japan that that had left with with Riki Choshu, um, just just show what an amazing work ethic that that yeah. this guy had, you know, and and that sort of stuck with Choshu. So when Choshu came back, you know, he brought Ishii with him. Yeah, and besides all the guys from different promotions, for example, we had Big Japan influence on this show as well with Daisuke Sekimoto and Yoshito Sasaki from Zero One, who later went to, to Big Japan. We also had a guy here on this show, uh, Takashi Uwano, who also was a guy that Choshu brought with him. And I remember that this guy had some kind of upside, but he um, he retired very, very early on in his career. Well, he was a nine-year veteran, you can, can say, not very early on, but he retired in 2008. But he was another guy that, that went with Choshu, and from, from Riki, Riki Pro, he came to New Japan. Yeah, so I mean, he gave a lot of guys a shot at this point, you know. So I think like that—that that was, you know, certainly a, a thing, a, a philosophy of, of Choshu at the time of like, well, you know, we've got to really tighten our belts, we've got to cut costs, and at the same time, it's like it's an opportunity for for these people as well. You know, I just don't think Bad Boy Hido was <laughs> the best beneficiary. <laughs> no, yeah, but 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 over, overall, this show still. It, it, it's it's strange to really mark this as the start of New Japan making a turnaround mm. just because all, as I mentioned before the New Japan guys on this on this card they looked bad yeah for for the most part so it's it's really the months that followed yes that, uh, laid the way for the, for the turnaround I think starting with Tanahashi winning the belt. Yeah, yeah. And I think like as well, the, the we're in this period where... So now we we go back down to, to one Tokyo Dome uh, show a year. But it's not... I don't think it it's for a good few years yet that you really see January 4th becoming like the, the destination wrestling event. You know, oh, it, it definitely doesn't seem like the, the biggest no. show of the calendar at this, at this point in history. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, the, the next year we, we have this, this strange all Japan stuff. There's a lot of like years where things feel kind of like out of canon almost, if that makes sense, where we're going to have like uh, cross promotional matches for, for oh, one light only. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's not really for a few years yet until like everything coalesces and it's like, okay, now everything leads to, to wrestle kingdom, you know, where, yeah. you know, now where it's like, I'm already in sort of wrestling as soon as like we're halfway through the G1 you know, and then it's like, well, we've got to be thinking about wrestling. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, this, uh, this period from 2005, I think until like 2011 yeah. was a period when I remember that when on every message board I was at the time, we used to make fun of Wrestle Kingdom because it, 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 it almost, it always felt like this was not the biggest show of the year, but the biggest shit show of the year. Uh, for example, 
when they had this relationship with TNA, they brought in Abyss or Rob Van Dam, for example. And Rob Van Dam, he had this match with Toru Yano. And, yep. and you just have to look at this card, for example, here, this 2006 card, the junior title is nowhere to be fi- found on this on this card. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and mm. when we always joked about how, how much time the junior title match would get, we always... We always were happy when the junior title match would get like 12 minutes. And mm. if I, when I look at this card, here's uh, <laughs> here is a Shinjiro Otani versus Koji Kanemoto match in the mid card that got 10 minutes. Um, that was a very wild match as well. And uh, yeah, this these shows didn't they, they never were really great, and not not even the main events were often great. And it's just like after 2011, Wrestle Kingdom became this go-to event for everybody who wants to get into Japanese pro wrestling. But at that time, I would never have uh, recommended someone who wants to get into Japanese pro wrestling to watch the mm. the, the annual Tokyo Dome events. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. It's it's very strange. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. See, so, I mean, you would think that that your biggest uh, biggest show in the biggest building, but you know at the same time yeah we we have these these strange interim shows but certainly i think for for the purposes of of this show it, it makes for a lot of interesting <laughs> trips down memory lane and <laughs> yeah. and like you know writing the book you know a lot of it was you know put digging you know joining the dots between like how did this happen <laughs> you know, it's like why you know um why yeah, is bad so, boy hito in this card yeah, exactly exactly i'm feeling i feel bad for bad boy hito like i'm, <laughs> I'm getting like <laughs> dissing him but you know i should 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 have traced down two tough tony and asked why his t-shirt was <laughs> Is Too Tough Tony still alive? I don't know. I, I assume so. I don't know. But Too Tough Tony's t-shirt wrestled in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, and there you go. I mean, that was that was the closest that, that um, Too Tough Tony would, would have gotten. Um, he is still alive. He's 44 years old. There you go. Luckily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a, what a strange time in history here. 2006 was <laughs> exactly um yep yeah. and uh it's it's going to be a little bit strange yet as uh on the next time on this podcast we're going to be looking at 2007 um as new japan feuds with all japan uh in, inside the Tokyo. oh yeah right <laughs> and uh we're going to look into one of the most amusing match names of full time uh, this was this was in the era where like your know, matches had titles you know <laughs> before, um, and uh, so next week we're gonna we're gonna be looking at the legendary rock your hearts out fucking outlaws match <laughs> is one of the highlights um, that that we can look at next time. Um, yes, so uh, yeah, in the next episode, uh, Alan Forel, Alan Cunningham's gonna gonna be joining me. Um, awesome. to look at 2007 so that that would be a great time uh striga thanks so so much um for for this and for everything that you do for for the wrestling community at large um i don't know if you have anything specific to plug but this will be uh, this episode will be going out on i'm gonna bring up my special spreadsheet here it's gonna be coming out on october the 20th hopefully if i've done my math right um so if you do have anything to plug 
that's timed for one month from now. <laughs> yeah, sure, I do. Thank, for, first of all, again, thanks for having me on this show. It was really fun to to watch this show and to talk about everything on this show. I could have, for example, I could have gone like one one additional hour to talk about Akebono and Yutakayoshi, for example. And <laughs> I, th- I think Alan will will would have would have cherished the Yutakayoshi uh, talk very much. But yeah, I do have something to plug. So during the summer. My co-host Alan, uh, Dylan, not Alan, <laughs> my co-host Dylan and I for the Eastern Lariat on MLW, we of course uh, reviewed the G1 Climax, but then we came back with some more shows. For example, one show is very interesting that we interviewed a French wrestler by the name of André Cartier, who is right now residing in Germany, but he wrestled and lived in Japan in 2017, and I, I interviewed him for the show. So that was one one of our recent episodes, and and one of our recent episodes we also did a um, a draft where we yeah we we kind of made an alternate history that uh, brought Antonio Inoki back to pro wrestling, and we uh, drafted uh, a new promotion that would be under the lead of either Antonio Inoki or Rujisai, and if you. Uh, if you want wow. to know how Ruji Sai got into the picture and got was the rival to Antonio Inoki, uh, I, I, I can just encourage you to check out that episode. Well, and of course, uh, yeah, you mentioned cagematch.net. That's our, my my website right now that that I'm uh, in charge of, but I'm not the only guy obviously working for Cage Match. So uh, there are lots of guys and uh, lots of guys contributing to Cage Match. And also Perlove.com, it's uh, our German-based uh, website for results from Japan. And yeah, Twitter, of course, to at Striga, S-T-R-I-G-G-A for everything you want to know about Japanese wrestling. Uh, ask uh, maybe either me or Chris. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, yeah, and of course you can uh, go and find Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome uh, at Amazon or other places where where books are sold, and you can get me on Twitter at ReasonJP, and uh, we'll chat to you next time. Goodbye. Bye.